Let's pray together. Lord, your word tells us that all scripture is God breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So Lord, as we open up the scriptures, we pray that we would hear your voice in it because you're the one who spoke it. You're the one who breathed it out. Lord, we pray that we might be taught because we're not who we should be and we're not what we want to be. We're not what you made us to be. So Lord, teach us what, what we're supposed to be and then help us to live in that. Lord, would you also correct us and rebuke us? There are things in our lives, ways that need to change and idols that need to be put away from us and uh, sin that needs to be repented of. So Lord, would you do all those things? And Father, also with your word, would you train us in righteousness? that we might be made more like Jesus because of this time here together tonight. Father, I pray too that this time would be, as it already has been, a stepping aside from the press and the busyness to be in your presence and enjoy you. So Lord, as you speak to us by your word, help us to enjoy you and to fall deeper in love with you. Lord, do all this for the sake of your name and for our good, and we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Young Glenn, be seated. Thanks, Mary. Well, before we get started, I want to explain just uh, a little bit about what's going to happen the next few weeks. So large group schedule for the next few weeks. We are, we are going to be having large group three more weeks after this. Next week, we will have a guest speaker, the pastor from Aletheia, Chris Kelty, will be coming. Good, really, really good guy. You're going to enjoy him. Um, and this, is, this will be his first time out to RUF, so we're really excited to have him. I'll be in Mexico City doing part of my job, um, helping care for and hope, hopefully hoping to maybe see some seeds planted for grow, growing RUF in Mexico. Um, so I'd love prayers there because I don't know what I'm doing. This is my first trip there in this capacity, but would love for God to lead me to, to the people I need to be interacting with. So um, would love prayers for that. And then the following two weeks, so we're going to do senior night the week after, well, two weeks from tonight. And that's typically we do that on our last night. But Kayla and Emily have la asked for that last one to be theirs. And that I don't know about you, that makes me a little nervous, um, but they're in charge of planning that last one. So, actually quite terrified. Um, also, I should let you know, so uh, I think we've told, told you that the processes have begun to, to find the next campus minister for JMU RUF for next year. And they've, they've got somebody they've been talking a good bit with. The, the process is not final. Um, but we're hoping he and his wife can be here next week. Because I'm not here, y'all need to be on your best behavior. <laughs> I'm also concerned about... <laughs> I'm not. I'm not. I'm more concerned about Emily and Kayla. Um, but, but seriously, your only job there is love them and, and welcome them. The process is going to play out the way it's going to play out. Just, just pray for that process. But... Hiring a pastor or a campus minister is not easy or quick, nor should it be, because there's a lot at stake when the word of God is, is a part of that. So 
Um, yeah, it, it's kind of the middle of the process, and part of what they want to do is come see Harrisburg, see JMU, meet people here. So, uh, again, it's, it's a natural part of the process. Just love them and welcome them well. All right, so um, y'all have already connected the dots. This is the, the last time I'll be in front of you as your JMU RUF campus minister. Um, and I, I cannot, there aren't words to tell you how great a privilege it's been for me to bring to you the word of God week after week. Um, there's nothing in, in me. Uh, I, I just hope that it's, that I've been a, a channel and an instrument of, of God's grace for you. Um, so thank you for allowing me this privilege and thanks for being so wonderful uh, to, to pastor. It, it really has been a joy and a privilege. So I'm not saying goodbye yet because we've got a few weeks and I'll be back here and I'm not leaving this town. But <laughs> yeah, I know. I'll stay in this town. Um, but, but really, this is one of the uh, greatest privileges as a pastor is to bring God's word to his people. And, and so thank you for allowing me to do that and stand in that place. Well, we're going to open up the Word like we do every Wednesday night. We're going to spend the next 25, 30 minutes talking about the Bible because God is so good and so kind to reveal Himself to us in it, to show us what He wants from us and from this world. And, and so we're going to just take what, what He gives and receive it and hopefully go away a, a changed people. If you have questions about any of this, about Christianity in general, about faith, about your doubts, it's okay to have all of those. It's okay to have questions and ask them. Find me, one of, our, one of our staff or our ministry team, and we'd love to, to talk with you about those. All right, I, I don't know if you've noticed my, my shirt. I, I wore it specifically for this night. I, I love wearing this shirt. It says, New York City Marathon Training 2011. I love this shirt for a few reasons. One, it's a great conversation starter. People always come up and ask if I'm a runner and when I ran the New York City Marathon. Second reason it's one of my favorite shirts, it's, it was one of my best finds at a thrift store. So, <laughs> I'm not lying, 250, 250 is what I pay. I didn't actually run it, which brings me to my third reason why I love wearing the shirt. It makes all the marathoners mad. <laughs> that I wear the shirt and didn't run the race. So Caitlin, Catherine, do not at me. Stay where you are. Do not come at me. But listen, I think this is how some of us approach the Christian life. We want to wear the shirt, but not run the race. We want to bear the name of Christian but not actually live a life following after Christ. When someone puts their hope and their trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of their sin, they become a new creation. Second Corinthians tells us that if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. They leave behind the old self and they live according to the new self. They start to follow Christ and they start to live according to the word of Christ. In other words, they wear the shirt and they run the race. They have God's spirit living in them to make them more like Jesus, which is a process we call sanctification. Sanctification. 
You're becoming made more like Jesus. And it's a process. It's not overnight. It doesn't happen in, in one shot, but it takes time. And God's Spirit lives in us to produce these beautiful fruit that we've been talking about all semester in us. We find these fruit in Galatians chapter 5 where they're called the fruit of the Spirit. I'll read that to you and then we're going to cover two of these fruit tonight, but more on that in just a second. So Galatians 5, 22 and 23 is where we see this. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. We're going to talk about the last two on the list there, gentleness and self-control. And we're going to talk about them from two different passages. So it's going to feel a little bit like you're getting two sermonettes tonight. It's going to feel that way because that's exactly what you're getting is two sermonettes tonight. So we'll look at our first passage here, Colossians 3, 12 through 14, which talks about gentleness. So listen to God's word yet again. This is Colossians 3, 12 through 14. Um, Ethan, you know what? Before I go on to the second one, which will come in just a second, can you go ahead and pull that up and I'm going to have you read that? 1 Corinthians 9. And I'm, I just want some marker in your Bible because when we get there, I'll have you read that, okay? And I'll let you know. But here's Colossians 3 on gentleness. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. So if you go back to that list there in verse 12, the word meekness is just another word for gentleness. In fact, some of your translations or your versions are going to have the word gentleness in the place of meekness. One Bible dictionary defines gentleness in this way. It's a sensitivity of disposition and kindness of behavior, which are both founded on strength and prompted by love. Some of you are, are note takers. I'll read that again. It's a sensitivity of disposition and a kindness of behavior, which are both founded on strength and prompted by love. This Colossians passage has four important things to say about gentleness and how we live out that gentleness. So let me, let me walk through those really quickly and then we'll go on to self-control. First, he says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. And then he gives us that list of which gentleness is a part of. He says, put on. This list of virtues, compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. And that list comes after a list. If we were to scroll back up, or I, I'm, I have a tablet. If you were to go back up in your Bible to a list uh, of vices that shows up just before this. Here's what that list looks like. Sexual immorality, impurity, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk. And so the Apostle Paul here in Colossians 3 tells us that we're to put off those vices. That second list that I just gave you. But we're to put on these virtues that, that I just listed for you that we just read from the text. 
The verb he uses here, put on, is the same word that they would use for putting on or taking off clothes. And it's a very intentional and purposeful action. Take off the one set and put on the other set. You wouldn't walk around with stinky and filthy clothes. You'd look for the first chance to get back to your room to change. And no one who follows Jesus is okay with a stinky and filthy life. We want our hearts and we want our lives to be made more like Jesus. So we take off things like pride and anger and malice. And we put on things like kindness, humility, and gentleness. So put on gentleness. Second thing he says here, Paul introduces the command put on with a qualifier as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. As God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. And I think what's important about that, Paul gives us the imperative, the command, or before Paul gives us the imperative, the command, he gives us the indicative, which is statement of fact. Y'all following me? Before he gives us the command, he gives us what's true of us. Before he tells us what to do, he reminds us what we are. We are God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. If you belong to Christ by faith, this is what you are. You are one of God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. God has chosen you as one of his children, and he set you apart, and you are dearly and eternally loved. And so now, because those things are true, live like one who belongs to God. Because this is the reality, now let these things be true about your life. So think about it this way. I don't love, serve, and spend time with my wife, Terry, so I can become her husband. No, I do all those things because I am her husband. And kind of like that, we're not kind, humble, and gentle so that we can become God's people. We are these things because we are God's people. Do you see the difference? Remember what you are and remember whose you are. And then go and live a life of gentleness is what Paul's saying. Well, third, Paul says that we as we live in gentleness, we're going to need to bear with one another. I don't know if you saw that little clause in there. Bear with one another. It's like he anticipates there are going to be problems with people among people. Crazy, right? You see, gentleness is great as a concept. Anybody here anti-gentleness? Yeah, I didn't, I didn't think so. But here's the thing. Gentleness can only be done in the context of community. And that's exactly where it gets interesting. Because people can be hard, right? Someone once wrote this rhyme, to live above with the saints we love, oh, that will be glory. But to live below with the saints we know, well, that's another story. (laughs) 
to live out the fruit of gentleness, you have to live it out in community. Gentleness is an inward quality that plays itself out in outward actions like kindness, patience, and love. And all of those are outward. They go from you to those around you. And you got to be in community for all of that to happen. And I know it's hard to do this. People are awkward, people are hurtful, and they disappoint. Well, at least other people are. (laughs) Why am I the only normal one in the room? I don't know. That's what we all think, isn't it? But God made us for community. And we can only be what he made us to be if we're in that community. So take the risk, press in, and live with gentleness in the context of community. Fourth and last, at least as far as gentleness goes, as the Lord. Did you see that there? As the Lord. You see it at the end of verse 15, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. And so there's not a direct application of that that clause or that phrase to gentleness. He says here we're to forgive as the Lord has forgiven us. But I don't think it's too much of a stretch to make it applicable to all these virtues. So think about it this way. Be compassionate as the Lord has had compassion on you. Be kind as the Lord has been kind to you. Be gentle as the Lord has been gentle with you. And how has the Lord been gentle, kind, and compassionate to you? Well, let let me mention one way. He went to the cross in your place and in my place. There's there's this random little verse in Luke chapter 9, verse 51, that says, when the days drew near for him, that is Jesus, to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. Y'all, what was going to happen in Jerusalem? The crucifixion. Did you hear what that verse just said? When the days drew near for him to be taken up, so he knew what awaited him. He knew what was coming for him in Jerusalem. And the rest of this verse reads, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. He knew what was coming and he still set his face to go there. And he went anyway. This was strength under control, prompted by love. This is true gentleness. And so will you be gentle as the Lord has been gentle with you? And be careful. If you say yes to that question, be careful. You're going to need to drop your grudges, your anger, your bitterness, your spitefulness, your slander, your divisiveness, your tearing down of others. You're going to have to lay those down and lay yourself down at the foot of the cross and say, Lord, you have been so gentle with me. Help me to be gentle with Noah. Lord, you've been so kind to me. Help me to be kind to Garrett. You've forgiven me so much. Help me to forgive Lydia so much. 
Pick one. <laughs> They're all sinners, every one of them. Uh, this quote's going to be on the screen behind me, but I think Alistair Begg sums this up well. And again, he's applying it to forgiveness because that's what the immediate context does. But again, I think you can put any of these virtues in here. Listen to what he says. When I refuse to forgive my brother or sister in Christ, then I'll tell you what has happened. I have exaggerated their offense against me, and I have minimized my offense against God. That's good, isn't it? When I realize what I am before God and what he has forgiven me of, not proper English, but we're going to go with it, what he has forgiven me of, then it will create in my heart a new dimension of forgiveness in the lives of others. To live lives of gentleness, we're going to have to be gentle as the Lord has been gentle with us. And we're also going to have to be a people of self-control. So sermonette number two, self-control. If you want to turn there, 1 Corinthians 9. And my man Ethan's going to read it for us. Ethan, can you do just 24 through 27 of 1 Corinthians 9? And if you want to follow along, I think it'll be on the screen behind me again. Thanks, Ethan. Self-control. Definition. Self-control is the willingness and ability to deny ourselves our sinful desires and to submit all of our thoughts, words, deeds, and emotions to God for His glory. I'll say it again. Self-control is the willingness and ability to deny our sinful desires and to submit all of our thoughts, words, deeds, and emotions to God for His glory. Self-control is the main point of the passage that Ethan just read. And again, it's the Apostle Paul. And in this passage, he shares three big ideas that relate to how we're to live with self-control. So we'll cover each of those also pretty quickly. So self-control, big idea number one, run for the prize. Run for the prize. Paul says that the Christian life is like a race. In a race, only one wins the prize. So here's what I and all the competitive people in this room just heard. Crush the competition, trip and push and shove, do whatever it takes to get in the front of the pack. That's not the point. <laughs> the emphasis isn't on competition or in winning first place. Did you notice that? The emphasis is on this. Run in such a way that you obtain the prize. Run in such a way that you obtain the prize. So how is it that you're running? Are you running the Christian life with determination? Are you running with endurance? Are you running with perseverance? Don't half but the Christian life. <laughs> Run like you mean it. To live with self-control is to live with this kind of determination. Run for the prize. Self-control, big idea number two, run with purpose. 
Run with purpose. Here's what he says in in 1 Corinthians 9. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things, so I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air. Run with purpose. The Bible says that all of us have a sinful nature that lives within us. Even though we're new creatures in Christ, we still have that sinful nature that produces sinful desires that then leads to sinful actions. That sinful nature slowly dies as we grow in Christ, but it's always with us this side of heaven. Sorry, y'all. I'm 55, a little more life experience, and it's true. It's with us this side of heaven. So picture it, uh, your sinful nature like this. It's like the current of a river. If you're out in that river and do nothing, what happens to you? You get swept away with the current, right? That's what's going to happen. If you flail about with no purpose, if you flail about in a panic, what happens to you? Same thing, right? (laughs) You just lose energy faster because you're not swimming with purpose. The only way to not get swept along with the current is to swim with purpose against the current. That's what Paul's saying here. Go against the current of your sinful desires by living with purpose. If you're passive or if you live aimlessly, you will get swept away. So let me ask you all this question and and go ahead and give me some answers. How is it we live with this kind of purpose? How can we live with the kind of purpose that the Apostle Paul is talking about here? To strive closer to Christ, to be more like Christ. How can we live with that kind of purpose? Thoughts? Yeah, having community, fellowship, accountability around you. Yeah, so your sin can be brought out in the light and hopefully be put to death. Joanna, were you going to add to that? Okay, yeah. Depending on Christ, you're, you're not the one who has the strength to do this. You need God working in you and through you to fight. Thought, other thoughts? Go ahead, Nate. Running from temptation and sin. Okay. Turning from temptation and sin. Absolutely. Somebody else was going to... Go ahead, Catherine. Ooh, all-star. Go ahead. Oh, like having habits in your life that cultivate, like reading your Bible. Yeah. Habits and routines in your life that cultivate growth. Good. Continuous prayer. Yeah, continuous prayer. Excellent. All right, here's a few I put down, and I think y'all covered all of them, if not most, if not all. How do we live with purpose? First, we kill sin. Burn any bridges that give sin passage into your heart. That, that's the killing the temptation that I think Nathan was talking about. Second, take inventory of your heart and your life and throw out anything that takes you farther away from Jesus and then start putting in the things that make you more like Jesus. And, and I think sometimes we don't do this because we just get so busy and we get so caught up in what we do every day. We don't step back and take that inventory. So I think it's important to just hit pause, which, by the way, God gives us that. 
One day out of seven, Sabbath day is supposed to be that. A day of pause. A day of reflection. To step back and go, what is going on in my life? Like, how, how can I throw out the things that aren't helping me grow closer to Christ? And how can I build in the things that will help me grow closer to Christ? So hitting pause long enough to do that. Thirdly, knowing God's word and bringing your life in line with it. Because the scriptures, the Bible, are the most reliable life GPS you have. And then lastly, get in community. And I think this was, Catherine, your first one. Allow others to know you and speak into your life. And this is scary. Because there's stuff all of us in this room are hiding. But you know what? Here's the thing with sin. It doesn't, it doesn't go away if it's left in the dark. In fact, it grows in the dark. And one of the ways we bring it into the light is by bringing it before other people. So having community where others know you can speak into your life. We all have blind spots and, and we got to allow others into those places that we try to keep hidden so that they can help us. Self-control, big idea number three, run with perseverance. Run with perseverance. At the end of the passage, you can hear Paul's concern that he might get swept away too. He says it there in verse 27, I discipline my body and I keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Do you hear that? The Apostle Paul could be disqualified, could be swept away. What he's saying here is the Christian life is a marathon and it takes discipline and it takes self-control to persevere to the end. There's a verse in Proverbs 25 that says this, a man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. A man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. A city without walls is totally open and exposed to enemy attack. Paul didn't want to preach about holiness and godly virtues only to be disqualified by sin in the end. So he disciplined his body and he kept it under control so that his faith would persevere to the end. So question for you, are you in this race with Jesus for the long haul? It's a marathon. Will you run with perseverance, disciplining your body and bringing it under control? That's what it means to live with self-control. Well, I want to end with this thought. <clears throat> when you run a race, think about last time you ran a race or when you've run a race, where do you fix your eyes? Think about a sprint. Where do you fix your eyes? A finish line. You fix your eyes on the goal, the end point. Listen, as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, your one goal is Christ. He is that one end for which we live. Which is why just a few verses later in 1 Corinthians 10, Paul says this, So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. 
So whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. What he's saying there is make everything you do, even little and seemingly insignificant things like eating and drinking, do it all. Do it all for the glory of God. Live to make much of Him. Live so that others see more of Him. Fix your eyes on Jesus and live to glorify Him in all the fruit of the Spirit, in your love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's my hope and prayer for you all, and that's my hope and prayer for JMURUF. I love you all, and I've loved being your pastor. Let's pray. God, we need you to produce these things in us. We don't naturally tend toward love, joy, peace, patience, all these fruit of the Spirit. Lord, that is really against the current that we have to swim against every day. But by your Spirit, Lord, would you help us? Would you produce these things in us? Lord, that we might be a blessing to this world, and that we might be a blessing to every one that you put around us. And, and Lord, too, would you do it for our joy? Because as we live in these things, you will fill us with joy. Lord, I pray that each one in this room would put their hope and their trust in you, that you would give them the eyes, the heart, and the life of faith. And then, Lord, help us to live that out by how we live for you. Make us faithful to the end, and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.